2: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Now at your
3: service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, welcome and thanks for
4: stopping by. We'll be taking a good gardening stroll shortly, but right now you can give a call 314 or three six seven nine hundred or 1-800-925-1120. With any kind of ideas, questions, concerns, or comments. Alex will be answering the phone. He just needs your first name, and that's all. He'll put it on the screen, and then I will talk to you. It is Saturday morning. We get together and have a roundtable discussion about what's impacting your backyard, front yard, side landscapes, and uh, that specialty garden space. Are you really disappointed in what it did? Better get those house plants in soon, except, gosh. I mean, 66 for a low or whatever it was, you know, last night, this is just incredible. And what is a potting mix versus potting soil? And what is in those bags and all that other stuff? Should you improve your soil? Should you be pruning right now? Should you be looking for bugs and diseases? And use the information that I'll share with you. My thoughts will help you orchestrate and hopefully solidify your options Of course, with the final judgment on the action you're going to take is on your shoulders. And by the way, this is your show, and I appreciate you inviting me into your home, car, or wherever you happen to be listening. Another very important player, as I said before, is Alex. He produces. He's got to push all the buttons, make sure that I do everything just right, and then also answer the phone at the same time. I'm Mike Miller. I've been hosting the Garden Hotline since 1994. I can come to your home and do a landscape consultation, if you like. And I call it a walk and talk. You can go to my website, MikeMillerDesigns.com. The homepage has my email address and phone number where I can be reached. Well, let's get moving. Today's stroll is brought to you by St. Louis Composting. Boy, it's really tough in the morning. I have to wait to do my good gardening stroll because it's so dark, so late. But anyway, finally, the morning light is bright enough to get out. And white pines mingle with fruit trees Columbine, variegated smilacina. You don't know what that is. I'm not going to tell you. Anyway, there's 10 foot high hollyhocks. There's zinnias and asters spreading their wings. Milkweed says, check out my pods. Squash runs here, there, crazy as tomatoes sort of bid goodbye to this year. Peppers are showing their colors all the way from green to dark, dark, almost black. Goldenrod rockets up. Vines climb up over the arbor entrance. 15-foot-high corn. Wow, that's unbelievable. A sign declares Monarch Way Station. Mulch pathways lead to raised beds and benches for sitting as well. There's tomato cages, metal fencing. Pots are popping up all over the place. Herbs add spice. Compost bins say, help yourself. And crickets and squirrels add flavor to this space. A sign reminds, please scoop up the poop. Elephant ears add bold texture. Ornamental grasses run along 9th Street. And the moms are well budded and say, we are the next ones to take over. Where is this Garden of Eden? Eden? Well, this is the Sular Community Garden down on 9th and Barton. It's a great garden. It's totally wild and crazy. I, When I lived in Soulard, I, you know, anyway, I've just been there a lot of times. And each time it's just a little bit different and uh, a lot more excitement. So that's where I was today. So anyway, if you do have any questions or concerns, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Why don't we go ahead and just take a break, Alex? This
3: is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX.
4: Yes, folks. We have some phone lines open three one four four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty, and give us a call. Let's head over to Jean's yard. Hi, Jean. How are you? Hi, Mike. I'm doing
5: fine this morning. Right. I have an outdoor. I have an outdoor plant. I want to bring in. Is there anything I can spray that with to maybe kill any spiders or bugs that's living
4: in it? Basically, uh, unless you know that they're there, the insecticides for the most part. Uh, are contact killers. So, in other words, if you just spray and there's nothing there, then you just kind of wasted the spray. So, I mean, you could use like an insecticidal soap. That's probably what I would use.
5: Insecticidal soap. Right. Okay. Because it's been outside all summer, and the thing is huge now, so
4: I I don't know if there's spiders or anything in it. Well, I mean, the spiders are going to be pretty visible. I mean, they're going to be visible. Okay. And other, you know, all insects are going to be pretty visible for the most part. There are a few that aren't, but uh, I wouldn't necessarily be concerned if the foliage and everything looks fine. Then uh, you can go ahead and, you know, just get some insecticidal soap. You can actually, you know, if you get the concentrate, you can make a soil drench. So in other words, you mix it up and you pour it onto the, you know, the potting mix that it's growing in. And that will take care of anything that's right there at the surface, like fungus gnats and things like that. And then this, then you can mix a spray and just, you know, shoot it over the foliage. Okay. All right. Well, thanks. Sure. My pleasure. All right. Bye. And thanks to Gene. And we've got another caller coming. Let's see. Let's, oh, hi, Mike. How are you today?
6: Uh, uh, hi there. How are you doing today? Very good. Anyway, um, I have a problem. I go out in my patio, and I get bitten by uh, not to no-see-ums. I, th- I have a big oak tree, and I don't know what the deal is, but, come, you know, just little bugs. You can't see them, but come back in, it's all where the exposed skin sometimes. What in the heck is that? I might be associated with, with the oak tree I have, but it's not big, bad bites. It's You know, but it's really uncomfortable, and you can't go outside in your own yard, you know, without all being dressed up. Any yeah, ideas? My,
4: my guess is it's probably mosquitoes. Small mosquitoes. Well,
6: I, oh, no, there's. I can see the mosquitoes. These are things you cannot see, I guarantee you, and they're mm. not even the no-see mosquitoes. So I wonder if it could be with the oak tree we've got, the oak mites. I've heard uh, about them. Generally,
4: things that are mites on you know plant material really don't you know have anything to do with people or pets or anything along that line. So I'm not okay. exactly well, sure what it is.
6: Well, I'm not either. That's right. Okay, well, I'll just, uh, well, winter's coming, so that's, that's no, that's, that solves the problem when it gets cold, but, right. you know, okay, well. And um, also,
4: what you can do is, I mean, there are insecticides that are repellents. That's what I, if I'm out in the yard and, you know, if I don't want flies yeah. landing on my legs because, I, you know, they just make me itch oh, yeah. or whatever it happens to be, I just spray yeah. the repellent on me.
6: Okay, well, I, I hate, yeah, I know what you're talking about. I, I spray that stuff, but I hate it. And oh. we don't want to do anything uh, because we have a dog there and don't want to spray bad stuff, you know what I mean? So it gets complicated. But Right. Uh, maybe I'll just maybe I'll just live with it and wait for the first frost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but it, ha-
4: it has nothing to do with your oak tree, you know. Okay, thanks, bye. Sure, my pleasure. And, again, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Man, the mums are just absolutely spectacular, aren't they? It's, I mean, it's hard to really even drive down any street without seeing some really fantastic mums, color-wise, and just big clumps of them, and it's just amazing. And here's a little bit of a story behind the mums in general. Chrysanthemums were probably cultivated in China as long as 2,000 years ago, and they were used for medicinal value as well as an ornamental plant. The roots of the plant were boiled by people in ancient times to produce tea that were used to treat headaches. Wow. And the young shoots and petals were consumed in salad, and the leaves of the mums were brewed to produce a festive drink. So this is China like 2,000 years ago. So chrysanthemum is a great example of a short-day plant that flowers in response to the length of the day versus the length of the night. So as the days get shorter and the nights becomes longer, obviously, in late summer, the flower buds start forming. And then later, in the, the as the days get shorter, the buds develop and then finally open up and bloom. Well, how do greenhouses and stuff like that make it so they're blooming when this has not really started to happen as far as the length of day? Well, basically, they have shade cloths. And that's what they, they create this time frame so they can more or less force these plants into bud, and then finally into flower, if you, know, if you want to. The actual chrysanthemum is a compound inflorescence, so it has two different kinds of flowers. The one is a ray flower and the other is a disc. And here's some uh, chrysanthemum trivia. Chrysanthemum is the second most popular plant in the world. The only one that's more popular than a chrysanthemum is the rose. In Chinese culture, the chrysanthemum was one of the four noble plants, along with plum blossoms, orchids, and bamboo. Japanese emperors so loved chrysanthemum flowers that they sat upon thrones covered with them. Chrysanthemum was first introduced to the Western world in the 17th century. Chrysanthemums entered the the American horticulture in 1798 by Colonel John Stevens. He imported a uh, cultivar named Dark Purple from England, and today there are more than twenty thousand cultivars of chrysanthemums worldwide. And in one of the houses I was at this past week, uh, great house, you know, neat people and everything else, uh, good landscaping and some history behind the house. Potentially, it sits on the bluffs overlooking, you know, the valley that contains Maryland Heights and all that other stuff. But they had a, a plant that they thought it was a daisy, and what it was is actually one of the types of flowers that mums have are daisy-like flowers. So it was a mum because it was it bloomed really late in the season, it was just in bloom now, as opposed to the you know the classic daisy type. So it just shows you that that twenty thousand different kinds of cultivars. I mean, it's just absolutely incredible. But uh, it's you know they're really kind of an amazing plant. Personally, I you know they weren't my favorite. I still like the pansies for fall more so, but uh, man, it's hard to beat those colors. I've got a couple pots of them myself. Anyway, let's head over to Karen's yard. Hi, Karen.
5: Good morning, Mike. Um, I just wanted to say my sister lives in Johnson County in in Kansas, and they get the uh, what is it the oak leaf itch mites terribly. They've had outbreaks since two thousand and sixteen. Oh, really? To the, to the point where you you can't sit outside, and uh, if you go on the extension you know website, there's not a whole lot you can do about them. So hate <laughs> to tell the man that, but uh, yeah, they've had them for three years in the uh, Johnson County area. So Whoa. Uh, I guess we could get them here too. So, so just FYI.
4: Right. Well, thanks.
5: Okay. I think it's especially the pin oaks. Um, they they say that they uh, uh, get on as well. So,
4: thank you. Well, thank you. Uh huh. Okay. And Bye-bye. if anybody else has any comments or questions, three one four four three six seven nine hundred or one eight hundred nine two five eleven twenty. And uh, this time of year, what should you be thinking about? How about your lawn? How's it looking? Well, I'll tell you, the plant material, we've had a couple rains and then we've had, uh, you know, several days of no rain at all. Your landscape is dry and dry landscape going in the wintertime. It can be really detrimental if we have a severe winter. What happens is what dry soil does, it creates air po- open areas that should be, you know, because of this once the soil is wet, then it expands and fills in all kinds of air pockets below the ground. If that doesn't happen and there's air pockets and we get cold temperatures, cold air could sink down into the ground and then consequently uh, cause some damage due because there's not any kind of insulation. And then these air pockets of cold air gets there and basically kills off all the feeder roots of the plant material. So this can be detrimental to all kinds of different plant material. So just understand that. And keep mowing your lawn, too. Uh, my even my zoisa historically, I don't remember mowing it this late in the season. Mine still looks pretty darn green and it it's still elongating it, so the growth of the blades is getting you know continuing to grow. And also, one of the maple trees that we have for street trees, one of the sugar maples, was damaged when uh, some work was done, you know, and the damage to the root system, so it's really dropping a heck of a lot of leaves. So today, after the show, I'm going to be raking my front yard, and uh, all kinds of other things you might be thinking about. I mean, the fall colors—it's just really kind of interesting and neat that uh, we're not. It's going to be pushing them a light a lot longer, you know, into the day, into the day dates than normally. Tracy and I were out yesterday, and she said. Boy, I thought there's, by this time of year, there should be some more fall color. There was some fall color, but there wasn't very much. So most of, you know, and it's all related to the daylight length and everything else. So and temperatures are important, too. But again, I'm going to reemphasize the fact that keep those irrigation systems going, you know, water your plant material, and it, it's going to be really, really important if you don't do that. It's just, you know, it's tough, tough, tough. And as the weather turns cooler, the trees will once again put on their show of brightly colored leaves, as I said before. And uh, what happens is the temperature, sunlight, soil moisture, will play a role on how the leaves will look in the fall. Abundant sunlight and low temperatures, what there is, there's a, a layer, of abs- abscension layer, and that's what, that is right where the leaf is attached to the stem or twig that it's attached to. And when it's things get cool, it triggers that, and that's what causes the leaves to start changing color and then ultimately drop. So some of the problems that, uh, you know, prevent good fall color, you know, is drought. I mean, during the growing season can cause that layer to form early, and that's why a lot of times, like river birch and certain trees in the summertime, even though, as you say, well, the daylight is really long and everything else, it's because they're not really getting adequate moisture to keep that, you know, that abscension layer from uh, basically forming. And so that's why you have leaf drop on certain types of trees, you know, in various seasons. If there's heavy winds and rains, that can cause the leaves to fall before they develop fully in the color, too. So there's all kinds of detrimental type things that make a little bit different, uh, a little bit worse for the plant material just in general. When you get out there and you start seeing, you see some branches that uh, are not looking so good, whether they're evergreens, conifers, broadleaf evergreens or anything else, anything that's really starting to lose its color or lose the, the foliage, regardless of what kind it is, those should be pruned out. Get rid of those because it's going to be really, really, ultimately it could be really problematic. The fall needle drop is really I mean it's a normal type thing. I thought my mugo pines my mugle pine right outside the kitchen had finished doing dropping all the needles, but now there's another sort of wave and it's nothing to worry about. And I just let the needles fall and that's, you know, they're really kind of neat looking on the ground as well. Make sure that you put if you have some young trees, that you put some kind of barrier around them so that prevents any kind of rabbits. Or, any, or ultimately rabbits or anything that might chew at the base of the trunk uh, from having access to it. So that's really extremely important. This is a great time of year to transplant any kind or to plant basically any kind of trees or shrubs. Other than I don't like to plant this time of year broadleaf evergreens. I think that's, to me, it's just a little bit scary because there could be some kind of, You know, who knows what with the broadleaf evergreens. But any other deciduous tree, any kind of conifer, I don't think there's a problem with that at all. So broadleaf evergreens mean like azaleas, rhododendrons, and holly. I don't like to plant them in the fall. That's just a personal choice. I'm not saying that's the way it has to be or anything else. But also other things that eat can chew on the base of trunks of trees are mice. So even though you don't know you have any mice, uh, who knows what it is. And uh, if you've got apples, you know, store them in a cool, dry place or a refrigerator and put them in a bag that's, you know, like a paper bag versus a plastic bag. That's, you know, that's really important to do that because it's going to be better for the plant material just kind of in general. And uh, as I, you know, who knows when the fall, you know, we're going to get great uh, amount of, you know, this peaking as far as the colors go. Um, It's going to kind of keep my fingers crossed that uh, we're going to be able to do that. And uh, let's see. Excuse me. Do not apply lime to your soil for any kind of garden soil unless you get a soil test done and it indicates that it's extremely acidic because even lawn needs a slightly acidic soil. Everybody always thought for years that lawn needed an alkaline soil, and that's not the case. So it doesn't really matter what kind of lawn you have. The pH should be about uh, any place between 6.5, 6.5 and 7. That's you know, 7 is neutral. So you want it slightly acidic. So don't put lime down just for the sake of because you think it needs to go down. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages.
3: This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the Voice of St. Louis, KMOX. Yes,
4: folks, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's head over to Gail's yard. Hi, Gail. Good morning, Mike.
5: I dug up a bunch of uh, surprise lily bulbs. Uh Uh-huh. And I don't really have a place that I can put them, and so I'm wondering, could I put them in pots and then, I don't know, sink the pot or put them in the garage? What should I do with them?
4: (laughs) Well, if you put them in pots, where are you going to sink the pot? Well, that's a good question.
5: <laughs> um, just trying to dig a hole someplace to put them. and But I, there were so many, I was shocked. Um, I guess they multiply.
4: Yeah. Just a question. How come you dug them up?
5: Because I wanted to plant something else there. Oh, okay. and, and then um, it seemed to me that last I have a lot of green foliage, sure that's but what then happens. in the in the fall, I really didn't get all that many uh blooms really, and so i yeah, unless I forgot about them, I don't know, so <laughs> i I decided to plant something else there, so I was just surprised at how many bulbs there were.
4: Yeah, I would, you know, just I mean, this is in retrospect, but I would have just left them there and then plant other stuff in among them, and that way, if they do come up and provide you with the foliage in the early spring, and you know whatever else you have in there growing should not be adversely impacted. And then in the summertime or late summer, you know late, late summer, whenever it happens to be in your particular yard with the exposure, uh, then you get the flower. But anyway, and probably I would, you know, unless you really like them. I would say uh, maybe just, I don't want to say throw them away, but throw them away.
5: (laughs) (laughs) Okay, so just as an experiment, would they work to uh, put them in a pot and then not put them in the ground, but just put them in a pot?
4: Uh, That probably is not going to, that's going to be a very, very iffy thing because usually they're not considered something that can be grown in pots with much success. Okay. Okay. So because All I right. mean they have to be, you know, they they have to be outside where there's moisture and everything else. And if you put the pot out there if we have a severe winter, bulbs that are in smaller pots, I'm assuming you're talking small pot or relatively small, uh they're probably going to freeze. But you could do it and see what happens and then call next year and say this is what uh <laughs> what happened.
5: Okay. Well, the other thing I could do is dig up a different part of the garden where I already have something, take that out and put the bulbs in there.
4: (laughs) Boy, you're making a lot of work for yourself. (laughs) I know. I don't like that. (laughs) (laughs) But probably what I would do is I'd just share them with somebody because you've got plenty, you know, I mean, you've got to have friends and other things and maybe just uh, surprise Maybe even for Halloween, rather than giving candy out, give surprise lily bulbs. <laughs> it's a great idea. All right. Thank you. Sure. My pleasure. And let's go from Gail's over to Keith's yard. Hi, Keith. You're up. Yeah, Mike. This
7: yeah. is Keith. Yes. Uh, I have a I have a problem with uh, crabgrass. I got zozia and I have clumps of uh, crabgrass more so this year, and I don't know why. Uh, what should I uh, do to that? Uh, should I? I've been digging them up, but you know that kind of gets uh, pretty uh, hectic. Right. Yes. Well,
4: well, the crabgrass—that's when you're going to go after it. The best thing to do is go after it with a pre-emergent in this basically early spring when the yellow forsythia is in bloom. Uh-huh. And what okay. you do is you spread the you know pre-emergent. And that kills the crabgrass seed as it's germinating, so it's an annual warm season weed, and the pre-emergent control is probably the best. I mean, post-emergent control, especially when it's in bed spaces with or in lawn areas and things like that, you can't use anything else, you know, because it's going to be detrimental to your to your zoysia. Okay, what is that that you could put on them? Yeah.
5: What is the pre-emergent?
4: The pre-emergent. Well, it's hard. The pre-emergent is something that you spread in the springtime, and you water it in, and basically it creates a chemical barrier on the ground surface, and then when any kind of seed, weed seed or whatever, germinates, it kills it at that point. Specifically, which pre-emergent, I would just go to my favorite garden center and see which one they have. I I found out that uh, somebody went to... a their garden center and they had a pre-emergent that had a really high analysis of nitrogen in it, and I, to me, I don't think I want a fertilizer mixed in with the pre-emergent.
7: Okay.
5: And a pre-emergent is simply a, a killer.
4: Yes, it kills weeds. It kills any kind of seed as the seed germinates. Okay. So if I'm this, getting ready,
7: oh, I'm I'm getting ready to rake my yard too.
4: Yeah, well, that's fine. I mean, just uh, understand that the whole time that any kind of weed has been out there, other warm season weeds include spurge, purslane, lamb's quarter, then there's carpet weed, there's crabgrass, there's goosegrass. And what happens is the whole growing season, they've been flowering, even though maybe it wasn't really all that obvious, and, you know, dropping seed. And then that's a seed that will lay there all, you know, winter long, and then starts germinating next spring, and that's why you want to get the pre-emergent down before they starts germinating. So, in other words, you put a pre-emergent. You probably don't have a soil thermometer, but when the soil temperature gets a, like at 50 degrees or above, for a four, you know, basically four or five days in a row, that's when the pre-emergent goes down. But that same thing. That's why I always say, rather than you know, using a soil thermometer. Just watch in your neighborhood for the yellow forsythia to be blooming in the spring, and that's triggered by the same type of soil temperature circumstance okay okay
7: now how does this come? Does it come as a liquid or a powder or what or as granular? a grain
4: it's granular in form, and then you're gonna oh, water good. it in
7: okay, good that's you what I want
5: say that on the package
4: well, I should I mean, always read the label on anything
7: yeah right, okay, okay. I think I, that'll, that'll probably take care of it then. I'll just do that. Well, thank you.
4: Appreciate sure. it. My pleasure. Yeah, it's, uh, I mean, they're, the the annual weeds are really tough. I mean, the cool season weeds, they're the ones that are actually germ- growing right now. You know, it's just like there's a, just a really ha- a hassle as far as the weeds go. So uh, with the cool season weeds, you put the pre-emergent down in mid to late August. That's a different type of circumstance. Those are the kind of weeds that can go all the way through wintertime and until it starts warming up in the springtime, then they disappear on their own. But then during that whole time, they've been dropping seeds, and that's where the trouble is. So there's two different times of the year you put pre-emergence down. One is in the springtime when the yellow forsythia is in bloom, and the other one's mid to late August. That's when two different kinds of varieties of annual cool season or warm season weeds start germinating. So let's go now to Bob's yard. Hi, Bob.
6: Uh, yes, I've got the same problem with crabgrass. Um, on the Internet, I've seen a product, I was wondering if you ever heard of it, Tenacity? Yes. Okay, is that does that work pretty good?
4: Yeah, it does. But, I mean, again, you're just going to have to watch it very carefully because it kills things that are actively growing. What the pre-emergent does is kill them just as the seed is germinating. so right, maybe. yeah. So, yeah. no, that works fine.
8: Okay, thanks.
4: Sure. And now let's go over to Jeff's yard, and he lives in Edwardsville. Hi, Jeff.
8: Uh, Jeff uh, in Edwardsville. Uh, Mike, I enjoy your program. I know you get a lot of questions about hydrangeas. Um, my limelights this year were beyond my expectations. They were so good that I cut off stems of flowers and made flower arrangements for the neighborhood. Um, What do I do with the limelights for the rest of the winter? Should I continue to cut the flowers off and leave everything else alone? Or what do we do on hydrangeas?
4: Yeah, you can do that if you want to. Uh, Probably it's more of an aesthetic thing. But, uh, yeah, I mean, to do that uh, just gets rid of the kind of because they really get somewhat ugly as time goes on. So just cut the okay. cut the you know foliage off the don't leave, don't let me put it this way. Don't cut the foliage or stems or anything. Just cut the spent flowers and just kind of leave the them flowers. alone.
8: Okay. So uh I had great success also with my quick fire hydrangeas. Now I've not really done anything with those as far as cutting off the flower, but you I could do the same with them too without Hurting them for blooms next year. That's what I'm concerned about. Exactly,
4: because anything oh. that ba- you know basically blooms in the summertime, which these varieties do. Uh, what happens is when the new growth begins, when the leaves start coming out in the springtime. That's when it starts forming the flower buds that will come. You know, start blooming a couple months oh. later. So that's okay. there's really then- only one major type of hydrangea that blooms in the springtime. That's a PG hydrangea, and that's the one that if you prune it in the fall, other than cutting the flowers off, you've cut the potential for any kind of flowering the following spring.
8: I'll be careful there. My last hydrangea, the Endless Summer, I've got five or six that are very mature. I had great luck with them in the past. This year, I had one bloom. I don't know what I did wrong. (laughs) Uh, we do have a deer problem. The deer ate them once uh, a couple years ago, but uh, uh, I had nice foliage, but just one bloom out of five or six. I don't know what I was doing wrong there.
4: Did you do but any I pruning had, on them?
8: Not, no, really. I leave them alone, and then in the spring, uh, whatever's whatever's dead, I, I would cut off, but I right. really leave them alone, and they kind of uh, come up from the bottom anyway. But, right. Um, I don't know what I did wrong there. But you probably didn't do you it. Know,
4: it may be an age factor. It may be, oh no, excuse me, who knows what. But uh, you may need to do some fertilizing on them if you haven't done any fertilizing.
8: Okay. okay. Thank you very much. I enjoy your program. Sure.
4: My pleasure. Mike okay. Miller, K M Y S Garden Hotline, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after these messages. This
3: is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, back to the phones we go. And if you do have questions, concerns, or comments,
4: 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Let's head over to Roger's Yard. Hi, Roger.
9: Good morning, Mike. How are you?
4: Very good.
9: Uh, Two quick questions for you. I got a hibiscus in a fairly large pot and the plant itself is probably three feet tall and i usually bring it in in the winter but uh last year all the leaves fell off and it bloomed but kind of sparsely this year i wondered if you had any suggestions and can i prune it
4: uh you can prune it but i probably wouldn't but this is just something historically that happens with hibiscus just in general even if they're in bright sun and the soil moisture and everything is exactly what it should be, the length of days and everything else causes them to drop leaves, just like the leaves of the trees outside. It's a you know, similar type circumstance. There's really not too much you can do about it. Even in, you know, at the Botanical Garden, in the Climatron or places like that where they had hibiscus growing, uh, they would drop leaves during the wintertime. There's no getting around it.
9: Yeah, I'm about to give up on it because it's quite a load in that pot.
4: (laughs) I completely Uh, understand. I mean, even if you put it in the basement and put grow lights on it and everything else where the temperatures would be a little bit cooler, uh, it's not going to make that much difference. It may drop a little bit less leaves, but it's not going to bloom all that much, and you're just kind of – it's not going to be great, let's put it that way.
9: Okay, I guess that's just an annual expense for a perennial. Now, one other question for you. I got a Rosa Sharon that seems to get a whole bunch of buds on it late in the year, and I know it's too late now, but they just don't open.
4: Well, it shouldn't be too late. It sh- they should still open. I mean, you're getting flowers earlier in the year, right?
9: Yeah, I had lots of flowers earlier in the year, but I, there might be a 1,000 buds out there now <laughs> with one bloom.
4: Well, unfortunately, there's not too much you can do about that. So it has nothing to do with, you know, any kind of soil nutrients or anything else. It's just, uh, you know, an environmental factor with our weather-related length of daylights and all that other stuff. Okay. Appreciate your help. Sure, my pleasure. And now let's head over to Rick's yard. He lives in Florissant. Hi, Rick.
7: Yeah, Mike.
4: Yes. Can you hear me? Yes.
7: Uh Uh-huh. We had a uh, flower garden plot out there, and
8: I put mulch on it in the spring, but I'd like to put some more to make it thicker and weed control. Is it now a good time, or is it a bad time?
4: Uh, It's a good time, and I would probably wait for another week or so. Well, you don't want to put the mulch on anything when the soil temperatures are still pretty warm, and they are still pretty warm because that keeps the warmth in there, and then that prevents the plant material from going as dormant as they should, and then if we have a quick, you know, let's say cold snap for wintertime, some damage could occur. So you could put it down, but probably I just get the uh, you get the mulch there, get it ready. And I would assume, and this is strictly an assumption, that the weather's going to change and we're going to get uh, the cooler temperatures. And then the ground temperatures will start dropping. Okay.
7: Now, another quick question. I bought some uh, compost from your favorite place a year ago, and I have a couple bags left over. Are they any good? Or
4: oh, sure okay yeah there's nothing you know I mean there's nothing wrong with them
7: okay cool thank you
4: sure my pleasure and now let's right. go let's go over to oh let's see let's go where should we head Alex okay let's go over to Tim's yard in Eureka hi Tim
7: hi Mike hi good morning hi. Hey, question question for you. Um, planted uh, eight lavender plants two years ago along the side of my house, and they're doing just fantastic. They're actually almost growing over the entire sidewalk. I didn't trim them back at all in the winter last year, since they were just first year plants. Right. But I'm reading all sorts of different things, and I'm getting every time I find something, it's a different opinion. I was looking to see what your opinion would be for trimming that lavender back for the winter.
4: Yeah, you can trim it. Uh, To be honest with you, lavender is kind of marginally hardy. So uh, even though it's up close to the house, which offers some protection, just like a lot of people plant uh, cannas or, you know, warm season type bulbs close to the house, and they'll come back year after year after year, there's going to be certain years where it doesn't happen. And lavender is, uh, I mean, you go ahead and prune it, I would say. But uh, the chances of it always coming back is going to be somewhat iffy.
7: Okay, interesting. So, it doesn't really matter if I just prune it back where it's not growing over the sidewalk. That that shouldn't be too much. Do you
4: think? Oh, no, not at all. That should be okay.
7: Okay. Sounds good. Right. I will trust I'll trust your opinion and move forward. <laughs> all
4: right great. Let's go to Mike. Liddy's yard. Hi Liddy.
7: Hello. Hi. Mike, I
5: got a question. Um, when do I prune my and how much of uh, a
0: Crepe Myrtle? I know not now cuz it's blooming.
4: As soon as it finishes flowering, you can, you know, start to, you can prune it at that time, and you can prune it all the way up until, let's say, mid-March or so before the new growth begins. So you got several, and some people prune them back severely. You know, you can cut it back 20% if you want to. You can cut it back halfway. They're pretty tough and durable, especially if they're really, you know, a healthy type, yeah, a healthy shrub, let's put it that way. Okay, well, I enjoy your show. Thank you for your answer. Well, thank you. And let's see. Doug, can you do it kind of quick?
7: Yes. Last week I called and asked you about hickory. My question I forgot to ask you was, is there any correlation between the number of hickory nuts that I'm getting off my tree, or black walnut? I'm sorry about that, black walnuts and acorns? Uh, does it ever correlate to how bad a winter we're going to have? Because, I mean, my yard looks like a... A field
4: of tennis balls. Well, I mean, there could be some kind of tales that say that, yes, that is a good indication of, but truly it's not. It's just, you know, let's say the formation and the flowering and everything that produces the nuts that's just related to the weather in that springtime. So there's not too much else that, you know, that really is going to impact it. Because it
7: looks like a
4: field of tennis balls. Okay. That's That could be rough walking, I'll tell you. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, thanks a lot, Doug. Greatly appreciate it. And uh, f- looks like that's going to be about it for this hour. Uh, next hour, I'm going to talk a little bit about the soil testing and where you can take the soil samples as well as uh, cause the soils. are so- Soils really sets the tempo for everything. There's no getting around it. And... If you've got soil and it's not really the best thing, let's say the best combination of ingredients or nutrients or whatever, then the plant material is going to suffer as a result of that. So Mike Miller, K-Inbox Garden Hotline. I will talk to you after the news.
3: Now, at your service. Welcome to the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, it's the Garden
4: Hotline, tip of the trial hour, and I will be giving that shortly. But right now, you can give us a call, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. With your ideas, questions, concerns, or comments, uh, while we were off the air, a gentleman had called and said, he was allergic to those mites that are off the oak trees, so it's really detrimental. And he said it's, it's been a nightmare for him. So even if you're wearing long pants and long sleeve shirts, you can still, you know, I guess you, these mites will come out of the oak trees. And to be honest with you, I never even heard them. So that shows you, gee, I don't know what I'm talking about. But uh, mites hanging, you know, falling off of oak trees, hmm just seems like uh, the ones that are on the trees would be f- there for plant material and wouldn't be biting people, but that uh, shows you I don't know what I'm talking about. Anyway, this is your show, and we can discuss plant selection, your annuals, how well are they doing, your bulbs, it's too early to get those daffodils and tulips, those new ones planted, uh, your edibles, your vegetables and things like that. I mean, it's really kind of amazing. When I was at the Soulard Community Garden for the Good gardening stroll, How many plants, pepper plants really look good. And I mean, they're cousins to the tomatoes, and well, not really cousins. But anyway, so the tomatoes were sort of like melting down, but the pepper plants look really striking, and the amount of peppers were really unusual. Your ground covers, your house plants, your lawn, perennials, roses, trees, shrubs, vines, or water gardens. I'll share my thoughts, but please remember my answers, comments, and opinions is not the only garden path to take to have success. So it's just strictly offered for you to consider. Alex is producing, so he answers the phone. He just needs your first name when you're calling. And uh, he also pushes all the buttons and everything else. During the week, I do landscape consultations. And uh, I come to your home. We can discuss anything in the outdoors, aesthetic, problem-solving, or whatever it happens to be. And you know, the past two weeks, I've been some really... uh, Great yards. I mean, one of the places in town and country, uh, the wife was a master gardener, and the plant material they had was unbelievable. And they had different kinds of settings, you know, in the entire landscape that were, you know, I mean, (laughs) the interesting thing was too, when they first moved into their home almost 20 years ago, they actually had me out at that time. And then here I was there 20 years later. And the way it developed, it was really strikingly, I mean, it was very, very unique and very unusual. And like I said, the amount of plant material, they just had a new driveway and a sidewalk put in. So they had some things that they were, you know, a little bit concerned or worried about. But anyway, that's what a walk and talk is. If you'd like for me to come to your home and do a walk and talk, you can go to my website and then email me or call me and uh, leave a message I'll get back in touch with you. Tip of the trials is a special recognition for individual group or a situation that's made an impression on me. And it's brought to you by St. Louis Composting, 636-861-3344. The amount of garden centers and plant societies that have meetings are not garden centers, garden clubs. is really kind of, un, I mean, it's amazing. So there's everything from the Belleville Area Rose Society to the Bonsai Society of Greater St. Louis, the Caseyville Gardeners, the Daffy Dill Garden Club, Edwardsville Garden Club, Fenton Garden Club, they're just all over the place. So a lot of these, you can find information related to when they meet and where they meet by going to the Missouri Botanical Garden site. And a lot of them meet right there, especially the plant societies. And then the garden clubs will usually meet someplace close by. So that's the neat thing about that. Like the Fenton Garden Club meets at the Fenton Rockwood Bank. So party on. Anyway, so the tip of the trial goes out to all the different plant societies that are out there. And let's take a couple phone calls before we take a break. Let's go over to Tony's yard. Hi, Tony.
10: Hi. uh, I planted a couple of hydrangeas uh, in the spring. And despite my best efforts, planted them a couple inches too deep. And once we got the mulch in, it was choking them. So we pulled it back, pulled the mulch back and uh they kind of nursed them through the summer. I know that now's probably the best time to replant them, but to be honest with you, I'm just tired of all the yard work I've been doing the <laughs> last couple uh, weeks. <laughs> and I would love to just kind of wait. If I leave that, you know, if I leave the dirt and mulch pulled back enough to where, you know, they're, you know, able to survive right now and I do this in the spring or maybe even next fall, is that going to have any long-term damage?
4: It could because if they're planted too deep, if there's you know any kind of depression there, uh, it could cause some damage to the root system because of moisture kind of collecting in a low you know a lower spot. So what that yeah. uh, you know that would be the detrimental aspect of it.
10: Okay, okay. So if, at this point, because right now it looks silly because I've got you know uh, kind of you know there's an indentation and then the rest of the uh, garden areas a little bit higher uh, but uh, aside from the cosmetic of that it's also it, it's uh, it's not necessarily uh, keeping the choking kind of nature of it by pulling it back it's also holding too much water still.
4: Right exactly that's where the problem would be and then you get root rot and then you, you know the plants head downhill and recovery may they may recover fine they may not recover at all
10: okay all right Thank you very much. Sure. My pleasure.
4: Yeah, it's unfortunate. Everybody, uh, I mean, planting things high is really essential. Even if it's a well-prepared garden space, you know, where the top of the root ball is above the surrounding, you know, bed space or garden or whatever it happens to be, is really crucial overall. Because if there's any kind of settling, uh, you don't want that, you know, let's say the crown where the stems, you know, trunks or whatever and the root system meets. You don't want that below the surface. Some plants it doesn't matter, but those are plants that are from the swamp areas. So that's kind of what you, you got to avoid. Let's head over to Eric's yard now. Hi, Eric. Hi.
8: Hi. Uh, I, got a, I got a spot in
10: my front yard where a, a, a large tree was removed before I moved in, and now it's just a constant battle with you know grass growing and really bad, like, fungus mushrooms growing. I just wonder if there's anything I can do to treat that area to kind of get it to come back.
4: No, it's just a matter of time. The mushrooms are growing off dead root systems or dead you know, wood or whatever it happens to be, and it until it fully implodes on its own, there's nothing you can do to sort of accelerate the process. That's the unfortunate thing when— you know, even people say, well, I had a tree taken out, I had a stump ground out, I got rid of all the wood, but there's still the root system, depending upon the tree and the health of the tree, the root system can, you know, stay viable, and each year it's going to get less and less as far as aggressiveness, but uh, there's nothing you can really do to accelerate the process.
7: Like so you putting seed down or just got to kind of yeah, out? Yeah,
4: that's pretty much it. I mean, uh, just every put it out to uh, have a bag there and just throw it out every so often and it's just you know finally it'll get to the point where it can get well established but uh, again it could be any place between 3 5 or 7 years.
8: Okay. All right, thank you.
4: Sure, my pleasure. Mike Miller KMOX Garden Hotline back after these messages.
3: This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks, 314-436-7900 or
4: 1-800-925-1120. Back to soil testing. I've been pushing this and pushing this and pushing this probably ever since I've been, uh, who knows, since I was a little kid. No, no, when I was a little kid. But anyway, why should you have your soil tested? Soil conditions have a big impact on plant health, as I said earlier pH and nutrient levels will change over time, especially if you're using the same type fertilizer over and over and over again. You can get extravagant levels of certain nutrients, which are actually detrimental, and you might be over-fertilizing as well. And the testing is the only way to tell which nutrients may be missing, also. And what does it tell you? What does the test results tell you? The status of the nutrients, basically from phosphorus to potassium to calcium, magnesium, soil pH. And the pH is a really very important because a lot of plant material like an alkaline, more salty. Then that would be like clematis and lilac. They like a you know more alkaline soil circumstance, where other plant material like more acidic. And if you're trying to grow something and you find out, oh, my soil pH is very different than what it should be to have, you know, good plant success, then that could be one of the things that has been problematic with you trying to get something established. But let's head over to Walter's yard. Hi, Walter. Hi. Um,
1: I have an indoor avocado tree that's about five feet tall, has four branches and isn't happy. (laughs) (laughs) It has brown blotches on the leaves, and then they fall off.
4: Now, you're talking about an avocado that you grew from, like, seed?
1: Yes, sir. Yeah.
4: Avocados don't like the indoors. So, And, I mean, there's not too much you can do about it. So what you're seeing is just a result of the plant being grown in a situation that's not the best for it, and there's not too much else you can do.
1: So I've wintered it over... Uh, every year, I've never, never taken it outside. So next spring, I should take it outside. I bet.
4: Yeah, and you could certainly do that. But that's you know that would you know, would help it a lot. But that doesn't mean when you bring it back inside, you're not going to sort of like see the downhill turn. Not maybe exactly to the extreme level that you're getting right now, but it could be certainly something that's somewhat similar to that.
1: But I can't plant it outside, can I?
4: No. You could send it to California, and if you know somebody out there, and then they could grow it out there. But, no, you can't grow it outside here.
1: Okay. All right. Well, I'll uh, set it outside next spring, and I'll try to continue to keep it alive until then.
4: (laughs) And basically, when you put it outside, too, don't put it out in direct sun initially. So I mean, you could really sunburn all the leaves and everything that's you know that's on there. So just realize that that's you know is a situation.
1: But it's, it it wants to grow and it keeps putting out new shoots. And um, what about watering it? That I I for the longest time, <clears throat> excuse me, I was watering it pretty frequently, and then I thought, well, this is a problem. So I've been watering it with more water, less frequently.
4: Right. Uh, That's the best way to do it is to less often and, you know, basically saturate the soil. So that's what you should be doing. And so you've changed your system and that's exactly what should happen.
1: Okay. All right. Well, thank you for your help. I like your show. I listen to it most frequently.
4: Well, great. Well, thank you. Thanks for having me on your show. And we do have phone lines open 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Basically, back to the soil testing, for lawns, what you want to do is to get the soil sample, you want to go down three or four inches below the surface to get the soil to be tested. So you don't want the soil right at the surface. You don't want a lot of roots or anything else in it. Uh, For other samples, like in garden spaces, you want to go like down six inches. And you want to break up these clods. You just don't want a big lump. You want to break them up in yeah, as, cool. kind of as fine as you want. So ultimately, you're going to end up about uh, with a good s- full Ziploc bag full of soil, and that's what's going to be tested. And where can you bring your samples? Well, you can actually s- – the University of Missouri right, Extension Service, who does the testing, they have an office in St. Louis County. It's in Kirkwood on Monroe, East Monroe, which is down near the train stations. But what they do is they don't do the testing there. They send it down to Columbia, and then in Columbia, in the Agriculture Department, that's where they do the testing. In the city of St. Louis, you can drop off your soil samples at Brightside St. Louis and Gateway Greening. Brightside St. Louis is located on Shenandoah, which is right basically at Kings Highway, Shenandoah, you know, Van know, Venner, all those southwest, all those things kind of run into each other. And then Gateway Greening is on Washington Avenue. So let's get a soil test done. It's going to be worth your time and effort, especially if you've been somewhat disappointed by the plant materials. Let's go now. Let's head over to Mary Ann's yard. Hi, Mary Ann.
0: Hi, this is Mary Ann. I have several bald cypress trees in my yard. Two of them have started to – the center leaves have started to turn the russet color, the rest of them not, and it's been my experience with these trees that they're one of the last to turn. Uh-huh. So I just was curious if I let those two particular trees get too dry. I do water them throughout the summer.
4: Yeah, you're fine. I mean, I'm, they're fine. It's just this our goofy weather. You just you never know what's going to happen one year to the next. So this year is just happening this way. Next year might not be anything even close to this.
0: Yeah. The rest of them they're they're perfect. They're all of them are green. It's just two of them the center leaves have started to turn and I I just was curious.
4: Right. Now you're talking bald cypress that have the needles, right? They have needles, but they do shed their their needles in the summer. Right. I mean right. in the winter. Right, exactly.
0: Um they're magnificent trees actually. Yeah.
4: <laughs> They they really are now. Are you having any of the knees coming up in your yard? So in other words, two
0: in two of the big ones. Yes.
4: Right, and what that is is because they're native to swamp areas. They grow above the water level, and that's how the plant, the tree, actually is getting some air, oxygen into the into the whole system. Well,
0: I just mow around them. (laughs) But Uh, uh, yeah, anyway. they're stunning trees, and I do give them lots of water throughout the summer because I know that's what they like
4: right, they love it,
0: so okay, well, I won't worry about them
4: yeah they're they should be fine and Thank uh you. one of the houses I was at this past week uh they have bald cypress, and they c you know been sort of shaving down the knee because they you know big lumps, and if you're walking through your yard, you don't want to necessarily stumble over one of these knees. And it's not really a knee per se; it's just a let's say a lump coming off the root system. But anyway, right? Of that.
0: These um, the the two trees that do have the knees coming up, uh-huh. they're I guess you'd call it the width at the bottom is probably every bit of twenty, maybe even thirty feet. So it's highly unlikely you're going to stumble over a knee unless <laughs> you know. I mean, they're, they're big;
11: they're right. big trees,
0: but. Uh, No, those knees don't bother me. I think they're kind of cute.
4: Yeah, great. (laughs) (laughs) Nice to hear.
0: (laughs) Anyway, uh, thank you so much, and I do love your program.
4: Well, thanks for having me on your show. And now let's head over to Bev's yard. Hi, Bev. Hi,
5: it's Deb. You had mentioned a couple weeks ago about why azalea leaves are turning yellow, and I missed it. Could you repeat that?
4: Uh, Basically what it is is the soil pH is bad. So, in other words, the soil pH, you would change that with sulfur, and then also you need to have iron. So iron sulfate would be something that you'd mix in with your soil. And uh, you can buy it, iron sulfate, several different ways and pull the mulch back before you 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 apply it, and then you can put the mulch back over the top of it. But it's not going to happen immediately. It's not going to turn them, let's say, green by next springtime. And, you know, some of them never get a chance to recover. So, But it's what it is is the soil pH is too alkaline. So if they're up close to houses, if they're close to sidewalks or concrete driveways or things like that, that's I mean, that's a bad circumstance just kind of in general. And most people are not, you know, realizing that that's the, the case. And starting with, as soon as you plant them, you should put the iron sulfate on the ground. And then also... I mean, there are fertilizers that have the iron and the sulfur in them, too, for acid-loving plants. But uh, if you, just, you, you don't want to fertilize them going into the wintertime. But just to get the soil, cha- you know, let's say, changed, you want to go to your favorite garden center and get iron sulfate.
5: Okay, thank you. Sure.
4: And now let's head over to Dave's yard. I Hi, Dave.
8: Well, thank you, <laughs> Hey there. Hi, um, Dave. I've got a couple of questions. Diatomaceous earth, does that hurt worms? I'm curious.
4: Um, not that I know of.
8: Okay. Second question. I have a probably a sixty year old oak tree with the oak galls on it, in pretty bad shape, it looks like it's starting to suffer. Are you aware of any treatment somebody told me about maybe using ash borer treatment?
4: Uh so I don't know how ash borer treatment would do anything for you know, for the galls on an oak tree. So I don't think that's going to work.
8: Is that some type of insecticide, perhaps? That, that Again, that's the way I understood it. Isn't well, the insect. galls
4: are basically what they are is a wasp, not the classic type wasp, but the female lays her eggs on the stems of the oak trees, and they only basically go after the red oaks. They don't go after the white oak group. And then when those eggs hatch, it causes that bloating, that gall, and that's to protect the, themselves from anybody eating them. So that's what it's all related to. And the and the wasps basically kind of hang out around the same tree where they were born. They can be blown to other trees, and that's how they spread through neighborhoods. But that's what it's, it's related to an in insect circumstance.
10: Any Any treatment you're aware of?
4: Uh, basically nothing that's totally effective, especially if you've got a – a tree that's really already, uh, uh, let's say, have a lot of galls there, and you know, readily. But uh, certainly, you can give a tree service a call and have them come out and take a look.
3: All right, thank you. Pretty sure,
4: good. my pleasure. Mike Miller, KMOX Garden Hotline, back after these messages.
3: This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the Voice of St. Louis, KMOX. Yes, folks, we have phone lines open, 314-436-7900 or
4: 1-800-925-1120. Again, going back to the whole idea of controlling some of these annual weed situations is the pre-emergence. So just go to your favorite garden center and tell them you want to ask or just ask them what pre-emergence they have and then let them maybe make the decision for you because, I mean, I can't list all the ones that are available So it's just it's easier for you to go someplace that you can trust the staff and everything else. So just kind of remember that. And uh, reason for diminishing number of honeybees includes a combination of habitat loss, parasites. So in other words, parasites, mites. So bees are actually impacted by mites as well. So not only people getting bit by mites off oak trees, getting bit, you know, the bees are getting bit by them. There's diseases including bacteria and viruses. There's pesticide exposure as well. And some of the exposure of pesticides can neg- you know have a negativity as far as uh, insect pollinators. And that's you know that's kind of really kind of, sort of sad because bees are really kind of fun to watch and everything else. I forget where we were yesterday, but all of a sudden there was like several bees around our, you know as we were getting in the car. And uh, if when u- utilizing turf grass insecticides, you know several practical measures for protecting pollinators and beneficial insects should be implemented. Mow all areas before applying insecticides, and remove most of the weed flowers because that reduces the bee for, you know foraging in the insecticide-treated areas. And uh, apply insecticides early in the morning or later in the evening because the bees are less active at that time. And use buffer strips between the turf you know, turf areas and landscape beds also. And consider spot treatments rather than broadcast applications of insecticides. And wherever possible, use insecticides that are going to be less toxic to the bees. So, in other words, you you read the label on the bees and then, I mean, (laughs) read the label on the insecticide and see if there's precautionary type, you know, measures in relationship to that. And I want everybody to make sure that they, you know, I'm going to emphasize this again because it's really important. This The rain circumstance, we get downpours of rain, and then we've got several days in a row where we don't have water and moisture. And the plant material is really going to, I mean, it just needs it. There's no getting around it. So it's really extremely important for you to do that. So give us a call, 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. If you have any kind of vegetables, yeah. Uh, Basically, like tomatoes or something that's kind of at the end of its, let's say, life. Be sure as as you've finished, you know, with those particular plants, that you clear up all the debris out of your bed, you know, your bed spaces. Because if you don't, there could be some you know potential problems that just winter over in there. So, you know, harvest your tomatoes, peppers, eggplants, and everything else before the you know before it gets cold. That's just it's going to be smart. Green tomatoes can be harvested before a frost, and then you ripen them indoors. Just individually wrap the tomatoes in newspaper and you keep them for a, for up for a couple of weeks. Finish cleaning up the garden spaces and compost non, you know, any of the plant material that you're getting that's, that's finished, and you want to compost it as long as it ha- doesn't have any diseases related to it, then it should be fine. And your winter squash and pumpkins and everything else should be, when you're harvesting them, basically leave a stem of about two to three inches. So let's head now over to Karen yard. Hi, Karen. Hello. Hi. Uh,
0: you were talking about the pre-emergence. I have a lot of wildflowers but I also have to do a lot of weeding. Uh, Would the pre-emergence in the springtime stop like my black-eyed susans and my wild flocks from uh, germinating?
4: Uh, New seeds from germinating, but generally like black-eyed susans, they're coming up from the root system. So in other words, they're perennials. So that's not a problem with them. But if the flower heads have dropped some seed, yes, it could impact them as far as the ability of the new seeds.
0: So I just have to keep weeding.
4: (laughs) (laughs) Exactly. I don't know how many, you know, if you're black-eyed Susans, if you have enough of them, uh, you don't have to really worry about it. Uh,
0: True. They definitely go to seed, and they come up everywhere, and I lift them and put them back where, you know, they're supposed to.
4: Right. And, uh,
0: okay, I've never used the pre-emergence, but I just get so tired of weeding, I thought it might help.
4: Yeah, In the bed spaces, what you want to do, there's a product called Preen. And like I just said a little while ago, I shouldn't be mentioning any specific name, but this one's specifically formulated for in-bed spaces like with perennials and things like that. Okay. Okay, well, thank you very much. Sure, my pleasure. And now let's head over to Eric's yard. Hi, Eric.
10: Hey, uh, I have a blackberry bush. I let the runners get a little crazy. Um, I can whack them back, or is it too late in the season to dig them up and offer them to neighbors?
4: (laughs) No, you can dig them. I mean, this is a okay. perfect time of year. The ground is warm. You know, just make sure that you get some soil and uh, and put it in a pot rather than just giving them a cane. You know, bare root canes. I probably wouldn't give them that, but just okay. to make sure there's a root system, and they should be fine.
10: Nothing like uh, punting, you know, pawning my problems off onto others. Exactly. So.
4: <laughs> they are kind of aggressive. There's no getting around that.
10: <laughs> that's 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 a fact. Thank you very much, Mike. Happy sure. Saturday.
4: My pleasure. And now let's head over to Nancy's yard, and Nancy lives in Creepcore. Hi, Nancy. Hi, Mike. Thanks so much for your show.
11: Um, I have a huge bed of zinnias, which are great, of course, for the butterflies and especially the bumblebees. Right. Some of the flowers I kind of like better than others. Um, can I clip those off and keep use those as seeds next year?
4: I would let them go to seed in place, but yes, you can. Oh, Okay. It's, Normally, what I do is I
11: pull them all up at the end of the year, um, but I guess they won't go to seed if I do that, right?
4: Right. If you do it too soon, so how do you how do you get them to come back the following year? Just seeds? Well, then... I don't. I plant new seed. Oh, I see. Yeah. Yeah. I so. mean, my you know, lots of people have zinnias for you know from the last 20 years where they just gather the seeds at the end of the season and just hold on to those seeds and then replant them the next year.
11: Okay, and just put the flower like in a paper bag or something and let it dry up? right, exactly. All right, thank you. And one more question. Um, I have a couple hibiscus that are huge, and normally I don't cut the canes down uh, until spring. Can I cut those down now?
4: Uh, You're talking about the hardy hibiscus like the disco bell and Mm -hmm. things like that? Yes. Since they're summer bloomers, you can cut those down. So, because okay. they're going to be basically setting flower buds on new wood, new growth that happens next year.
11: Gotcha. Okay.
4: Thanks so much, Mike. Have a good day. Sure. My pleasure. And another thing, back to the insecticides, make sure, you know, in relationship to bees and everything else, that it's kind of a last resort that it's really you've got a major problem before you do an insecticide. So, most insecticide species are found feeding on flowers, ornamentals, turfs and things like that are really uh they're they're somewhat of a hassle but unless they're causing major problems for the plant material i would just sort of like we can't have a perfect yard it can't be something more or less out of a catalog or out of a book and so just realize that that's just part of the nature's you know circumstance and beginning in 2014 Insecticides started featuring a pollinator protective box. So what it does is if you look at an insecticide and it has a pollinator protection box. So in other words, it's a bee icon. That means this one is safe for bees. And uh, it's really important because the bees, I mean, you can't beat them. Like I said, they're great for honey. They're great for, and not every, not every bee is a honey form. You know, doesn't make honey. But just they're kind of fun to watch in the outdoors. So 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Back after these
3: messages. This is the St. Louis Composting Garden Hotline with Mike Miller on the voice of St. Louis KMOX. Yes, folks.
4: 314-436-7900 or 1-800-925-1120. Questions, concerns, or comments? Uh, Plant material that's least appealing to deer. But realize that if you are in a neighborhood where deer are all over the place or just occasionally or whatever, in a severe winter, there's really no plant that is safe. So even things they don't like, they're going to, for a survival standpoint, they're going to go ahead and go after them. So like least appealing to deer, woody plant-wise, That's ginkgo trees, oakleaf hydrangeas, gold-thread branch cypress, hawthorns, American holly, junipers, paperbark birches, leukothe, rosa shearin, blue spruce, hypericum, witch hazel, vitex are some of the—that's woody plant material. Some of the bulbs that they don't sort of munch on, you know, even after they're coming up in the springtime, lycoris, which is a surprise lily, the flowering onions, the crocus, glory of the snow, snowdrops, hyacinths, grape hyacinths—those are ones. And then annual-wise, marigolds and lantana, snapdragons and cleome—those are and uh, globe amaranthus as well. So those are ones that basically the deer kind of stay away from, and they stay away from a lot of the butterfly you know attractants. So the milkweeds and things along that line. And let's head over to Jeff Yard. Hi, Jeff.
12: Hey Mike, this is Jeff. Hi. I, uh, I, have a, I have a couple of uh hydrangea on standard in the front of my house that are getting pretty big, but one of the things that they've done is they're they're slowly tilting away from the house. Um so now they're probably at a twenty degree angle, you know, rather than upright. Right. Um can 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 I straighten those up somehow by by creating a you know well, how would you suggest I deal with that?
4: Basically this is what happens. The reason why they're leaning is because they're leaning towards more light. On the backside, <laughs> that's where your house is. There is no light coming from that way. So that's yep. they're doing it for survival. You'll see, I mean, that even happens in a shade circumstance where, you know, shrubs or anything or other small trees under near larger trees, they're always going to lean towards where there's more sunlight.
12: Interesting. And it, could they also just be sinking forward as well because the, the – the, the trunk is dead straight they're not it's not an angled trunk or a curved trunk,
4: right, so I mean basically i mean the the growth is headed where the leaves are, the main trunk, the original trunk or whatever is not going to necessarily do that, but all the growth that's coming off with all the you know with the foliage is going to lean towards where the bright sun, or the brightest sunlight is,
12: Yeah. yeah, okay, so just leave it alone then
4: yeah, there's nothing you can do that's going to make any difference because you start fooling around with it. You're going to cause problems for them just in general, and it's going to end up being the same way that's what has happened now. <laughs>
12: <laughs> okay. Okay. doke. Well, thank you for your help. I appreciate it.
4: Sure, my pleasure. And back to the things you know, with the deer being you know least appealing to the deer. Perennial-wise, as far as ground covers, sedums, vinca minor, so in other words that's the evergreen ground cover that has the blue flowers in the springtime, Creeping flocks—they don't like any of those. Uh, they don't like thyme. They don't like the lamb's ear. They don't like the wild ginger. Or surprisingly, which you know, kind of caught me by surprise, they don't like lily of the valley. And I thought the—I uh, mean, with all those leaves and stuff that the lily of the valley has, I thought surely they would go after those. But apparently, this is a test that the university, several universities, have done in extension related to. You know, deer damage because it can be really a hassle. Some other perennials, like I said, milkweed, columbine, coreopsis, primrose, globe thistle, lungwort, purple coneflowers, the fern varieties, acanthus, helleborus, and uh, simusifuga. So that's one of the, some of the other things that to uh, you need to be thinking about as far as putting plant material in, and again, I'll reemphasize the fact that if we have a severe winter, then they are still going to be consumed. Yews are another thing that the deer don't necessarily like, but uh, they will munch on them if they, you know, if it's kind of they're desperate, they're hungry, they're whatever, and so some of the things they're eating for the nutrient value, some some of the things they're eating is you know for a moisture, you know, factor. So. This is a time of year when, like I reemphasize, that the uh, good time to you know do installations of new plant material, trees and shrubs. And some of the perennials, we still got time to get the perennials in the ground. Uh, probably the ground covers, it might be a little bit iffy, but uh, like I said, who knows what the weather's going to do as long as, long as it kind of stays warm. Then, you know that's what's really important to uh, for the root systems to get you know, established in a new location. So you can head to your favorite garden center, check out some of the plant material as far as trees and shrubs and things like that and uh, I mean just install them. If you're going to be planting a tree or shrub, you want the hole to be time like three or ti- three or <laughs> two to three times the diameter of the root ball. More like three is better. But only 80% is deep. So you want the top of the root ball above the surrounding ground. And what that does is that keeps a crown, for if there's any kind of settling at all, from sinking below uh, the surface. And that's where moisture, if moisture collects in an area around, it can ne- not necessarily kill. But what it can do is make the plant material, you know, like suffer and not be what it should be or what it potentially could be. And improving your soil, the, like I said, going into St. Louis composting and getting compost and mixing it in in the garden space is really important because rich, it doesn't have to be rich, but well-taken care of soil is how you get good plant material. There's no getting around it. So you can buy the best, most expensive plant that you can possibly find and then consequently you know if your soil's not good then the plant material's not going to be good so just kind of realize that some of the other things you know deer wise it's really kind of amazing and deer are i mean so 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 unbelievable how tame they have gotten around people's houses where they kind of lay around in the front yard and around on the patio maria how are you today
5: um, well, thanks, Mike. I have a row of eight uh, green Arborvitae green giants planted about three years ago. Okay, and one of them, one of them, just starts to look discolored and brownish from the inside out. Is there anything I can do to help it?
4: Yeah, if, the, if it's the inside, as long as the tips are still green, there's nothing mm-hmm. you can do. I mean, that's just kind of a natural circumstance. So it's okay. just you know, it's getting a little bit more mature than what the other ones are. As far as the interior is going to always be sort of like less than what the exterior is, and that's pretty much with all the conifers, anything that has needles.
5: But it, to me, it looks like it's
4: dying. Ooh, now if it's if it's a, you know from the bottom up and the inside out, and it keeps migrating mm-hmm. out, then it probably is. So, and Sorry. if you've got that many, having one go downhill, that's just mm-hmm. kind of sort of the way it goes. A hundred percent of okay. anything. You know, surviving in our crazy weather and everything else, and our soil circumstance is going to be, let's say, cross, keep your fingers crossed.
5: Okay. But nothing, I can't fertilize, nothing would bring it back.
4: Yeah, no, you're not going to, fertilizing is certainly not something you you want to do, nothing along that line at all. It's like all when right. you're not feeling well, you don't want to necessarily mm-hmm. eat yourself. Right. <laughs> all right. Thanks, Mike. Sure, my pleasure. Yeah, and again, it's you know the planting is really important, and why one would suffer and the other ones are not, it's you know who knows. Mike Miller, K, and Garden Hotline. Thanks to everybody for calling in today, and I will see you next week.
2: This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue.